Hello, and welcome to the QUB GP Society podcast. This series is entitled Common Conditions in General Practice and is aimed at medical students. We will be discussing some of the most common conditions that you see in a primary care setting in terms of their pathology, presentation, diagnosis, and management. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so that you can see all of our latest episodes and also check out our society on social media so that you can keep up to date with news and events. But for now, on to today's episode. My name is Radhika Galati and I'm the Education Officer of the Queen's University Belfast GP Society. Thank you for joining us for our podcast and today's subject will be chronic kidney disease. Chronic kidney disease is defined as a reduction in kidney function that is present for more than three months and leads to irreversible loss of nephrons. It is estimated that chronic kidney disease affects around 8.5% of adults, with chronic kidney disease being more common in women and with increasing age. There are multiple causes for chronic kidney disease, with the most common cause being diabetes. In diabetic nephropathy, high blood glucose leads to the production of reactive oxygen species that change the structure of the kidney. This includes thickening and sclerosis of the basement membrane, mesangial expansion, and podocyte hypertrophy and atrophy. Another common cause of chronic kidney disease is hypertension. In hypertensive kidney disease, the high pressure state leads to thickening and narrowing of the renal artery, reducing the filtration rate. This increases renin, leading to a raised blood pressure and the cycle continues, eventually leading to glomerulosclerosis and nephron loss. Other causes of chronic kidney disease include glomerular disease, damage from an acute kidney injury, congenital causes such as polycystic kidney disease or renal dysplasia, autoimmune conditions such as lupus and vasculitis, and chronic urinary tract obstruction. Medications such as angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors, aminoglycosides, lithium and non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs can also damage the kidney. In the early stages of chronic kidney disease, the patient is often asymptomatic as the kidneys compensate for the loss of nephrons. The kidney does this by shifting blood flow to the healthy nephrons, leading to hyperfiltration in these nephrons. Over time, however, this hyperfiltration leads to sclerosis and there is further nephron damage and the kidneys are no longer able to tolerate this level of damage. At this stage, there is so much damage to the kidneys that glomerular filtration rate starts to decrease and the patient becomes symptomatic. At this stage, the patient can present with a whole host of symptoms across different bodily systems. Firstly, a decreasing glomerular filtration rate means that waste products, notably urea, that are normally secreted in the urine, build up in the blood. Symptoms of uremia include weakness, fatigue, poor appetite, nausea and vomiting, neuropathy, a persistent itch and amenorrhea. In more severe cases, uremia can lead to encephalopathy, resulting in seizures and coma.
Some patients may also have a uremic frost, where urea is excreted onto the skin, and this looks like white flakes on the skin. Secondly, a decrease in filtration leads to an increase in sodium and water retention. This can lead to high blood pressure and peripheral edema. Blood pressure is further raised, as in chronic kidney disease, because there is a low volume of fluid in the kidney, renin is secreted. Renin converts angiotensinogen to angiotensin 1. Angiotensin converting enzyme is released from the lungs and converts angiotensin 1 to angiotensin 2. Angiotensin 2 stimulates the adrenal gland to release aldosterone, which acts on the blood vessels to constrict them and directly on the kidney to further retain sodium and water. This further increases blood pressure and the kidneys also reabsorb more water and sodium. In chronic kidney disease, there is also a buildup of potassium in the body. This results in muscle weakness, chest pain and palpitations. In severe cases, hyperkalemia can lead to life-threatening arrhythmias and if this is suspected, a patient should have an ECG performed. Signs of hyperkalemia on ECG include peak T waves, flattened P waves, an increase in PR interval, a widened QRS and in severe cases, a sinusoidal pattern that precedes ventricular fibrillation. Patients with chronic kidney disease often also have bone problems, including osteomalacia and an increased risk of fractures. Firstly, this is because in chronic kidney disease, there is metabolic acidosis as the kidney has a diminished ability to excrete hydrogen ions and generate bicarbonate. In turn, this leads to bone decalcification. Secondly, there is reduced production of the hormone calcitriol. This means there is reduced calcium absorption from the gastrointestinal system and the kidneys. This leads to hypercalcemia and secondary hyperparathyroidism in response to the lowered calcium. Parathyroid hormone then further stimulates bone breakdown. Lastly, patients are often anemic and this presents with symptoms such as fatigue, chest pain, palpitations and tinnitus. On examination, patients may appear pale, have tachycardia and may have a flow murmur. This is because with impaired kidney function, the kidneys produce less erythropoietin, which is important for the myeloid progenitor cells to produce reticulocytes and in turn red blood cells. The following section will cover the diagnosis and management of chronic kidney disease in the primary care setting and is based off guidelines from the National Institute of Health and Care Excellence. Chronic kidney disease is diagnosed through a fall in estimated glomerular filtration rate. This value is calculated through the modification of diet in renal disease equation which incorporates serum creatinine, age, gender and ethnicity. It is important to note that pregnancy, high muscle mass and eating red meat 12 hours before the test can affect the result. Based on glomerular filtration rate, chronic kidney disease can be split into different stages. 
Stage 1 is when glomerular filtration rate is more than 90 millilitres a minute. This is the glomerular filtration value for most people without chronic kidney disease and therefore to be diagnosed with chronic kidney disease patients must have signs of kidney damage on other tests. For example, abnormal UNEs or proteinuria. Stage 2 chronic kidney disease is glomerular filtration rate between 60 and 90, again with other signs of kidney damage. Stage 3a is a glomerular filtration rate between 45 and 59. Stage 3b is a glomerular filtration rate between 30 and 44. Stage 4 is a glomerular filtration rate between 15 and 29. Stage 5 is a glomerular filtration rate less than 15 and with a glomerular filtration rate this low, there is established kidney failure. As stated previously, the extent of proteinuria is important in the diagnosis of chronic kidney disease and monitoring its progression. Protein in the urine is measured through calculating the albumin-creatinine ratio on an early morning urine sample. It is important to note that transient increases in urine albumin-creatinine ratio may be seen with menstruation, urinary tract infections, exercise and prolonged upright posture and this should be taken into account when interpreting this measurement. If a patient has mild or moderate chronic kidney disease, glomerular filtration rate should be monitored once or twice a year. If it is moderate to severe, glomerular filtration rate should be carried out two to three times a year. And in end-stage kidney failure, glomerular filtration rate should be monitored at least four times a year. Other blood tests, such as full blood count, calcium, phosphate, vitamin D, and parathyroid should all be monitored and the frequency depends on clinical judgment. A patient's nutritional status, BMI, blood pressure, serum HbA1c and lipid profile should also be assessed. Renal ultrasound is not routinely done unless there is a suspicion of urinary tract stones, obstruction or there is a family history of polycystic kidney disease. Now going on to the management of chronic kidney disease, this is multifaceted and combines lifestyle changes with medical management. The management of chronic kidney disease should start with lifestyle advice, including encouraging and supporting patients to reduce their cardiovascular risk through smoking cessation, reducing the alcohol intake, eating a healthy diet, exercising, and maintaining a healthy weight. It is important to note that a low protein diet is not routinely recommended in chronic kidney disease and specialist nutritional input should be arranged if there are concerns about malnutrition. Patients also need their medications reviewed with potential nephrotoxic drugs being stopped or the dose minimised. As stated previously, nephrotoxic medications include non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, ACE inhibitors, aminoglycosides and heparin. In particular, patients should be advised to avoid over-the-counter non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs where possible and to avoid herbal remedies 
as it is often not clear what is contained in these products. Patients with chronic kidney disease have a high cardiovascular risk and GPs play an important role in managing this. As hypertension in chronic kidney disease is due to activation of the renin angiotensin aldosterone system, an ACE inhibitor or an angiotensin II receptor blocker is often recommended. For example, lisinopril or losartan. NICE currently recommends that if the urinary albumin creatinine ratio is less than 70, a blood pressure target of 140 systolic and 90 diastolic should be aimed for. If the albumin creatinine ratio is more than 70, a more conservative target of 130 systolic and 80 diastolic should be aimed for. When starting these medications, it's important to check the UNEs before and after. A decrease in estimated glomerular filtration rate of up to 25% or a rise in creatinine up to 30% is acceptable. However, any more may indicate an underlying renovascular disease. Ferrucemide can be used if the estimated glomerular filtration rate is less than 45 and also has the additional benefit of lowering serum potassium and helping edema. However, this medication should be stopped if the patient is at risk of dehydration, for example, if they have nausea and vomiting. Furthermore, all patients with chronic kidney disease should be prescribed a statin. Moreover, if a patient has diabetes, this should be managed as it can worsen pre-existing chronic kidney disease whether or not the primary cause was diabetes. There is a particular subset of patients who need to be referred on to a nephrology specialist. This includes patients with a glomerular filtration rate of less than 30 milliliters a minute, accelerated progression of chronic kidney disease, an albumin creatinine ratio of more than 70 unless it is due to known diabetes, uncontrolled hypertension despite the use of at least four hypertensive medications, a rare cause of chronic kidney disease, such as polycystic kidney disease or renal artery stenosis, or a complication of chronic kidney disease. For example, renal anemia requiring EPO injections. In more severe cases, or end-stage renal failure, primary care doctors may need to refer patients for the consideration of a renal transplant dialysis or palliative care. In summary, chronic kidney disease is a common condition encountered in the primary care setting. The most common cause of this condition is diabetes, but other important causes include hypertension, glomerular disease and genetic conditions such as polycystic kidney disease. Chronic kidney disease is initially asymptomatic where it is picked up on routine bloods. However, as the condition progresses and there is more extensive damage to the kidneys, patients may suffer from a variety of non-specific symptoms, including fatigue, nausea, peripheral edema, and weakness. Chronic kidney disease is diagnosed and the severity classified through blood tests, looking at the estimated glomerular filtration rate and the albumin creatinine ratio. The management of chronic kidney disease in primary care is multifaceted and focuses on supporting patients to reduce their cardiovascular risk through lifestyle changes and medication. 
We hope you have enjoyed today's podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss out on any future episodes. If you have any ideas, suggestions or feedback, don't be afraid to get in touch with us via email gp-soc at qub.ac.uk. Our Facebook, Twitter and Instagram accounts are regularly updated with all the essential information from our society. Thank you for listening and goodbye.